0: A more passionate life of prayer, and uh, and to that end, um, hopefully the message is going to go shorter today, and then we're going to spend a few minutes at the end praying together as a church family, as a community. Okay, so. Um, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into content the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nation. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. Father, we pray that you would help us right now um, to listen to you. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you would work your truth down deep into our very being. Spend a few minutes meditating on Jesus, the one who is the Prince of Peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I'm not sure that anything in our home is the way it should be at this point. Um, this uh, this reality was impressed um, afresh anew upon us uh, just this past week. We were sitting in our dining room around the dining table, and uh, a lot of our Christmas decorations were out. So we have one of those things. I don't know these things are. It's like a like a, a pyramid windmill carousel nativity scene, you know, where you light the candles and then it makes them spin around. So you guys know what I'm talking about. So you guys might have one of those. And so on the on the bottom level, we're sitting there. And on the, on the bottom level, we notice there's this big stain. All across the bottom level, but but I mean that's just like the, the whole thing has never really worked properly. I mean the, the little paddles on the top are constantly falling out. The uh, it, it doesn't like it starts to spin sometimes, but then it always gets stuck. It, it, it does not work properly. It's not the way it should be. But this the thing is, this thing is just a microcosm for our entire dining room, where <laughs> nothing in our dining room. I mean there's scratches. Um, there's uh Kim bought this decoration that says gather on that uh, she hung on the wall and uh, it, was, it wasn't long after it was hung on the wall that it, it was knocked off the wall and now it's We don't connect with one another as we should. We don't think of one another as we should. We don't care for one another as we should. We don't listen to one another as we should. Our relationships aren't what they should be. Everything in our life isn't what it should be. Our work isn't what it should be. I know I don't have to tell you guys that. Um, There's all sorts of frustration that you experience with your work, I'm sure. Um, Even the things that we do for fun aren't what they should be. They're never completely what we hope they will be. of the very presence of God isn't what it should be. We, don't, we aren't as intimately connected with him as we made to be. Um, Isaiah tells us that this child who will be born and reign is the prince of peace. But the word he uses for peace isn't a word that simply means an absence of conflict. And it's not a word that simply means like a, a sense of, you know, peace, a sense of calm, a lack of internal turmoil. Um, The the word peace is a translation of the word shalom, which we've mentioned before, I know, in other sermons. But this this word shalom communicates much, much more than that, than just a lack of problems. It communicates something that is deep, something that is is good, a life that is flourishing, a life that is interconnected with other lives and ultimately interconnected with God's life. Um, it, it, It describes a world in which everything is the way it should be, everything. There's a scholar named Cornelius Plantinga who wrote a book about sin uh, and about the results of sin in our world and the fact that our world is not the way it's supposed to be. That's the title of the book. But he defines the word shalom this way. He says it's a, a universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as the creator and savior opens doors and speaks welcome to the creatures in whom he delights that is the definition of shalom that's a really good definition of shalom shalom in other words is a life in which everything is the way It was meant to be a way in which everything's supposed to be. In a world where nothing is as it should be, Jesus has come to offer us shalom. He has come to offer us shalom, to offer us the beginning of a life that becomes more what it should be. And the promise of a world where everything is right and nothing is wrong. But I think in order to know Jesus and worship him as the prince of peace, we first have to understand what peace cost him. What was the cost of peace? And I think we can get at that by looking later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, which is one of the the most famous passages in Isaiah, in the Old Testament maybe, of all. And, And it speaks more clearly to the mission of the Messiah, the mission of Jesus, more than any other passage in the Old Testament. But it talks about shalom in that chapter. And it says this, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us shalom, that brought us peace. The source of peace, the only source of peace, is the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus. That is why he was born 2,000 years ago as a baby, in order to grow up in a world, in order to suffer in this world that is broken by sin, that's not the way that it should be, and then ultimately to die on the cross, taking upon himself our sin and also taking upon himself all of the brokenness that goes with it. And it's through his suffering and his sacrifice that we have hope of being made whole, of being healed, of experiencing shalom. There's a beautiful story by a guy named Walter Wangren. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it, but uh, it's it's a story called The Ragman. And uh, and in the story, the narrator tells this this story. It's really short, just a few pages long. And the narrator sees this man, this young, handsome, strong man, who is going throughout the streets of the city, and he calls him The Ragman. He's pulling a cart behind him, and he's got all these beautiful, shiny, nice new rags. And he's, he's going through the city, and he's crying out, Rags! Rags! New rags for old. New rags for old. And so he comes upon this woman who's sitting on her porch, and she's weeping, and her heart is broken. And he comes over to her, and he says, rags, rags, new rags for old. And, and, and he takes this handkerchief that she's sobbing into, he takes it from her, and he takes a new cloth from his cart, and he puts it on her lap. And when he takes it from her, suddenly... Her face changes, and the sense of calm comes across her face. And she's no longer crying, but what happens is as he takes that rag, he puts it to his own face, and he starts to sob, and he cries. And then he continues going through the city, pulling his cart as he's sobbing. Rags, rags, new rags for old. And then he comes upon this little girl who's got a head bandaged, a bloody wound on the side of her head. The blood is soaking through the bandage. And she's sitting on the ground, and he says, Here, rags, new rags for old. And, and, he, and he takes this bandage from her head. And, and the narrator says, it was, it was amazing what I saw because with the bandage went the wound, and he put it on his own head, and suddenly he was bleeding. And he gave her a new bonnet. And when he, when she, he put that bonnet on her, her face began to shine. No longer crying, no longer hurting but now he's sobbing and he's bleeding and he continues going through the city pulling his cart more and more frantically now and he comes upon a man who's just leaning he looks hopeless and and he's leaning against a wall and, and the ragman says to him you know why aren't you out working right now and the man's like what are you kidding me and he and he leans away from the wall and his arm is missing unable to work because he's physically not able to and and the ragman says rags rags new rags for old and and the ragman takes off his Jacket and puts it on the man. And when he puts his jacket on the man, the ragman's arm went with it. And suddenly the man has two strong arms, and the ragman is left with one. And so the ragman continues running now through the city, pulling the cart with one arm, sobbing, bleeding from his head. And then he comes upon this man, this homeless man who's lying on the ground. He's drunk. He's passed out. There's a blanket on top of him. And the ragman takes the blanket off of him and wraps around himself. And then he begins to stumble. And he puts a new blanket on this poor man that's on the ground. And suddenly his face changes and he's sleeping soundly. And the ragman now drunkenly running through the city, pulling the cart with one arm, bleeding from his head and sobbing, Rags, rags, new rags for old. And the narrator is just like blown away as he's watching this. And, and they finally, he follows the ragman to a, a dump, a landfill. And the ragman then lays down and he dies. And, it's, and, and the narrator is just like, just beside himself. He's like, what is, what is this? What is this? And it's a picture of what Christ has done for us. It's his suffering that makes us whole. He takes upon himself the suffering that we experience, our sin, and he endures the pain of it so that we would be made whole. That is what shalom costs. That is what shalom costs. But, but something else that, that I think is really important to notice, just back in this passage in Isaiah 9, is why I originally called it the physics of peace. I'm not really a scientist. Maybe we should call it the science of peace, science of peace. maybe the chemistry of peace. Feel free to correct me afterwards. But, uh, but um, you look at this verse 7, and uh, right after the Isaiah calls him the prince of peace, he says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The word for government is actually the same word that he uses for prince. It's just another form of it. So he basically says he's the prince of peace. Of the increase of his princing, and of his shaloming, there will be no end. There's this idea that, that his rule and, and, uh, and, and the shalom, the peace that he brings, is not something that is static, that's done, but it actually increases, and it grows, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it doesn't end. And in my mind, as I read this, I was thinking about, you know, maybe... In, uh, there's a science class maybe in high school and there's a container and you have some kind of substance in there and then you add another substance to it and then that thing starts to grow and get bigger and bigger. Maybe this is just a fantasy of mine, but it gets bigger and bigger and then it overflows the container and then it just gets bigger and bigger. Maybe it's just an animated movie I've seen this in. And then it just fills up the whole room and it just keeps growing and busts out the windows. It's, that's the kind of shalom that Jesus offers us. Something that doesn't stop but gets better and better and better, more full deeper, more satisfying as every day goes by, as every moment goes by. There's a, a great scene. If you've, any of you read the, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, and uh, if you're not familiar, it, it involves this, this imaginary world called Narnia where animals talk and where there's a, a lion named Aslan who represents Jesus, and he rules over this world. And, uh, and in the last book called The Last Battle there's a point when, when all of those who, who are following Aslan end up in what is essentially heaven. It's, it's a new Narnia. And they describe it this way, that the new Narnia is so much more, more real than the old one. And one of the, the phrases that, that's repeated over and over again is they, as they enter this, world of, this new world of Narnia and they go further and further, further in. It gets greater and greater and more beautiful and beautiful. And they're constantly saying, further up and further in. Further up and further in, because it just gets better and better and better. It's, it's, uh, let me let me just read you um, a little bit of uh, of the passage. It says, "The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was striking. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If ever you get there, you will know what I mean." It was the unicorn. Who summed up what everyone was feeling? He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this come further up, come further in. And they kept on saying it over and over again. The further in they went, the more beautiful it got, the more glorious it got, the more satisfying it got. And I think that's the shalom that Jesus offers us. In one one sense, this is all talking about the shalom we have awaiting for us when Jesus returns and we enter heaven. There's a new heavens and the new earth. And this place will be beyond anything we can even imagine And it's there that as we live there forever, it will only get better and better and better. More satisfying, more real for us as we spend more and more time with Jesus there. But I think there is a reality to the fact that even now, as we enter a relationship with Jesus and we trust him, as we make it our priority to follow him, to run after him, to know him, that every day, becomes a, a greater experience of shalom than the last. The more that we know him, the greater our sense of, of satisfaction and our wholeness becomes, no matter what else is going on in our lives, no matter how much there is, where our lives are full of brokenness, no matter how many things are, are scratched up in our house, no matter how difficult our relationships are, as we pursue him, as we make him our priority, nothing more important than him, than our experience of his love becomes more and more satisfying every day, more and more, further up, deeper in. That is the physics of shalom. And lastly, we need to know the certainty of this shalom that Jesus offers us. How do we know that what Jesus offers us, that he is the Prince of Peace, that that, that his shalom that he offers us will truly satisfy us? How do we know this? How do we know that what we have awaiting for us when Jesus returns is what we were made for, is what we need need to long for and look for and live for? How do we know? How do we know? Well, I think um, it helps to look at the last line of this passage we just read. The very last line of verse 7, what does it say? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah, this Isaiah has made this prophecy of this child who will be born who will rule, who will reign, who will bring shalom, who will bring peace, who will bring righteousness and justice for everyone, for all of the world. And he says, how is this going to happen? Well, it's all about the zeal of the Lord. It's about his passion, his commitment to what he wants to do. The intensity of his commitment to do this. It's all about what he is planning on doing and his power to do it. It's not dependent on us, it's dependent on him and his zeal, his zeal. When I, when I thought about that word zeal, you know, this idea of, of intense passion and commitment of, of someone to something or people, um, I thought about the, uh, the movie, um, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the, the animated movie, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, it uh, came out in the last few years. If you haven't seen it, I think it's one of the best animated movies that's come out in the last few years. It's so good. But it's basically a world in which uh, this, this smartphone, is uh, it's AI, is able to basically take over the world. It's trying to take over the world. And so it builds this army of robots that are really strong and powerful. They can fly. And, they, and, and so they're going around the world just capturing all the humans in the world. And they're putting them in these, in these cubicles. And then that, that these cubicles then like float into the air and then become part of this big... Uh, structure, this prison structure in the sky, and, and so they've captured everybody in the world except this one family, the Mitchells, and this, the, the Mitchells are just this really average, you could call them dysfunctional family. Uh, There's a, a dad and a mom and a daughter and a son and a dog, a really ugly dog, and so far they've managed to evade capture by the AI and this robot army, um, and, and so they're spending the whole movie just trying to figure out how can they, you know, defeat this evil phone, <laughs> this evil program. And, uh, and eventually they figure out a way to kind of disable the, the robot army using the ugliness of the dog. The, the robots see the dog and it's so ugly that they cease to be able to function. But, uh, but then the, the AI then creates these, these, this like 2.0 robot that is like these, these killer robots that are like unstoppable, indestructible, just all metallic. They have these pointy hands and they, they, you, they cannot be stopped. They're, they're fearsome. And so event, eventually they capture the Mitchells. They capture the family. And there's this one scene where the mother is, is being held by two of the robots. They, they've got each of her arms. And they're holding her. And they're, they're, they're like, what are we going to do? They, they, they can't defeat these guys. And then she looks across the, the, across the way in the distance, and she sees her son. And they take her son, and they put her little helpless son into one of these cubicles. And it starts floating away, and the little son's like, Mom! And so then she sees her son who she has this intense, passionate love for. And then she says in this deep voice, that's my boy. And then immediately she just rips her arms away from the robots. So they like rips their arms out of the sockets. And then she like knocks them unconscious. And then there's this army of robots in front of her and the, the, the one at the front is in charge. And she takes her fist and she just punches it into his chest and pulls out his heart, basically. And, it's the, and then it, it starts this whole just like gruesome like scene where she's just like dismantling all of these unstoppable robots. And it's hilarious. And it, it, it's all because of her zeal for her kids. She cannot be stopped. She cannot be stopped. No matter how unstoppable these robots were before, nothing could stop her. And, and she like takes the heart of the robot and she throws it in her purse and he throws, she throws her purse down and she's like, I am Linda Mitchell, Mother of two, look upon me in fear. It's, that's, that's zeal. That is zeal. And I think that's a picture of the zealousness of God for what he wants to do for his creation, for restoring all things to himself, for restoring you to himself, for reclaiming you, and for loving you. He is that Zealous. There is nothing that will stop him. Nothing. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I think we see God's zeal for shalom, for restoring all things as they should be. We see it most clearly and definitively in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, it's in the resurrection of Jesus. After he has died, after he has suffered under the weight of all... All, all of his people sin and then laid in the tomb. What happened? He walked out. He was made new. He was restored, experiencing, showing us what shalom, true shalom is. The first fruits of what we will be. It's the resurrection that shows us, yeah, nothing is going to stop him, not even death. I just want to finish by um, Reading the very end of that story, the Ragman, which comes to the point where, um, you know, we've, we followed the the Ragman into the landfill, and he dies. He lays there in the landfill, and then one day goes by, and then another day goes by, and then it says this. But then on Sunday morning, I was wakened by a violence, light, pure, hard, demanding light, slamming against my sour face. And I blinked and I looked and I saw the first wonder of all. There was the ragman, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that, healthy. There was no sign of sorrow or age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well, then I lowered my head and trembling for all that I had seen. I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place, and I said to him, with dear yearning in my voice, dress me. He dressed me. My Lord, he put new rags on me, and I am a wonder beside him. I'm a wonder beside him. Christmas is what Christmas is because of everything that this baby who was born would grow up to do. To live, to die, to rise. Our job is to say, dress me. Dress me. Make of me what you will. Show me what living a life of shalom is really like as I wait for the fulfillment when Jesus comes back. And everything sad will become untrue. This is the Prince of Peace. This is the one we worship. Let's take a a few minutes now to respond to him and to pray. Um, and as, as a, we've said the last few weeks, I mean, for some of us, praying in a big group maybe is not that natural, maybe it's uncomfortable. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, that's fine. Just take this time in the silence to pray quietly to yourself, but also listen to one another. I encourage you to, to, to take a, a risk and pray out loud with whatever's on your heart. Pray a prayer of a praise to Jesus for who he is, for what he has done. Um, cry out to him in the midst of your need um, and we're just going to kind of have a free-for-all this morning I've tried to guide it other weeks but we're just going to have a free-for-all just pray for whatever's on your heart um, I'm going to start off by reading some of this passage again and then we'll just take a few minutes and pray in response to that and uh, I'd encourage you to if you do pray out loud to keep it somewhat brief if you can and pray loud so everybody can hear you and there might be some time of silence don't stress out that's okay um, but let's pray together as I start off with Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's continue to pray and respond to him. birth. Thank you for coming in. Father, we thank you for sending your son to give us peace, to give us shalom. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And we recognize that it was necessary because we ourselves have spent a lot of our lives destroying shalom. Um, Father, we pray now that you would forgive us. We pray that you would help us to, to as we think about the ways that we have um, uh, destroyed shalom, destroyed peace in our relationships, how we've hurt others with our words, with our actions, how we've failed to think of others, have compassion on others, how we've failed to empathize with others. Um, we pray that you would forgive us. We, we pray that you would help us to see the ways that we have destroyed shalom with you. Um, Ways that we've ignored you, ways that we've taken you for granted, ways that we've been more focused on ourselves and what we want even this Christmas Eve rather than on what you want and who you are. We pray that you would forgive us. And Father, we thank you for the fact that it's only because of your zeal your passion, your intense commitment to reclaim us, that we have hope. Father, we thank you that it's not dependent on how strong we are, on how good we are, but it's dependent on the beauty and the goodness of Jesus alone. So Father, we thank you for him. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. We now have an opportunity.